Welcome back to The Line Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. This is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts in all things health and wellness to help you optimize your mind, body, and movement. Today's guest is my new friend, Jonathan Pajot. Jonathan Pajot is a public speaker on traditional symbolism and contemporary reenchantment. He is a professional icon, carver, and liturgical artist. He is a philosopher. He is a religious scholar, and uh, Jordan Peterson, who originally turned me on to him, considers him to be one of the brightest minds on the planet. So I've been really enjoying getting into his work and drawing connections from perspectives that he's drawn out into health, wellness, and a deeper sense of purpose in this life. That is what this conversation is about. We get into religion, we get into psychedelics, we get into philosophy, we get into the meaning crisis what that is, why that matters, and uh, just how to feel more fulfilled in this human experience, bridging some of the gaps between ancient wisdom and uh, our modern experience. This conversation is fun. I think you guys can enjoy it. And uh, if you do, you want to hear more stuff like this, jump over to the YouTube channel. You can watch the entire YouTube video. You can also jump over to the Align community where we provide exclusive content to go deeper into aspects of conversations like this one. That is at alignpodcast.com slash community. I want to thank you guys for subscribing to this podcast. Also want to thank you all for leaving reviews wherever you listen to this. This one comes from Edo Thond. Edo Thond says, I don't know if that's, I do Thond, I'm not sure. Uh, Beginner's Mind, I've been listening for a little over a year now, and one of my favorite things about this podcast is the way Aaron returns to Beginner's Mind again and again with his guests. He asks the questions I want answers to, and he isn't afraid to challenge statements that might be controversial. There's a lot of that in this conversation. Alrighty, that is it. That is all. I hope you devour this conversation. Let's get to it with my guy, Jonathan Pajot. I want to start with a, a quote to get things moving from from Mr. Voltaire, and I'm curious your perception of it. I feel like you'll have, probably have some thoughts. A quote that I find interesting is, if God did not exist, it would be necessary to invent him. So I think it's interesting that Voltaire chooses him. I think that's, that's worth discussing as well. And also the necessity to invent said God, if it, she, him did not exist in some absolute manner. What do you think about all that? I mean, I understand the impetus behind the quote in the sense that one of the things I think we're seeing more easily right now is we had a moment where we, some people, at least some people thought that we could just be rational and scientific and we could just uh, get rid of all these superstitions, then we would, we'd be good, we'd be fine, you know? And what we're noticing is that that's not what's happening. People are becoming uh, nihilistic, you know, they're moving into despair, we're noticing we don't have much to hold us together in terms of societies. We don't have things that bind us anymore as we get rid of, as we get rid of religion, as we get rid of God. And so I think that that's probably what Voltaire was perceiving was the notion that we need something above us, something transcendent to unify us or else we tend to fragment and to scatter. Um, So I think that the intuition behind, behind Voltaire is, is right. And you see a lot of people that say today, uh, taking that very cynically in the sense that they realize we need something to bind us together. So it could be anything. We could just put something up there and uh, we, we just need, we need it or else we need to celebrate something together or else. Why are we something? Why are we a country? Why are we a nation? Why are we a family? Why are we a group rather than just a bunch of individuals slamming against each other? I reflect on that quite regularly internally at a deeper level. I have a sensation 
of like, I can have a sensation of like aimlessness. And a, a part of that, I have these various, like what I would concede to be like illusions of perceived progress. And that's something that I, I, I ask a lot. I feel like most people can kind of collectively agree of like, yeah, like progress, like, well, let's, let's do progress. And then that presents the question of like, okay, perfect. I love, love that. Love the morale, but like progress towards what? Like, what is our ultimate end goal here? What are we progressing toward? No, I totally agree that that's definitely a, a problem, especially in terms of modern kind of atheist pro, uh, progressive narrative, which is that what are we aiming at? Because in order to progress, you need an aim. You need to be moving in a direction or else you're just aimlessly wandering. And yeah. so the question is, what is it that's happening? It's easier. I think one of the mistakes that we've seen in the in, with the Enlightenment and, and it's and what came after is we had this idea that if we progress in terms of technical knowledge, that is, if we accumulate technical knowledge, then that's similar to the manner in which we're going to progress morally as a nation, as nations, as people. But those are not, they're not the same. The accumulation of technical knowledge, is not the same as morality or, or understanding what it is that makes a life worth living. These are not mm -hmm. the same thing. And I don't think that we have progressed in that at all. I think in, on the contrary, I think that we have traded one for the other. We've traded a kind of comfort, a technical comfort and material comfort. We've traded that for purpose and we've traded that for virtue and for a sense that we are moving towards something valuable. And because of it, people are, people are, are lost. Well, not yeah. everybody, but there's definitely a sense around us. When I look at Young people, especially, you know, the, the despair is palpable. Yeah. So. Yeah. And so, so you asked before we press record, like, why, like, why the heck do you have me here? I'm like a <laughs> theologian, icon, iconographer, philosopher. Like, what does this have to do with like, this is supposed to be like a health thing or something. One, there's like, I had John Verveke on recently and mm -hmm. I know that you guys are, are close. And one of the things that came up, with that was like the the meaning crisis like we're going through like a like a meaning crisis of, of is there some kind of ground to stand on are we just on this kind of slippery illusory hollow sensation of progress towards some technological financial gain like towards what and i think it's interesting that within like disease or disease you know probably a hundred percent of diseases or there, there's some root of of stress involved in that somewhere in the system and we can address that topically or allopathically and say aha here here is the tumor but then you can wind it back and you know at some point there's there's something to cause friction in the system to eventually manifest as some type of you know physical expression of of disease and so when the majority of people that are visiting a hospital are there for something that's stress related or something that's like psychosomatic mental emotional mm -hmm you know, lifestyle related or something that would just pass on its own, but we're seeking out for this pill or solution at the root there. I feel like we can start to address some of our medical experiences through like these, this internal lens, you know, and through starting to establish, you know, maybe starting to address that, like that, that meaning crisis that, that I personally experience. You know, I feel mm -hmm. like many other people could probably resonate with that. So what do you what do you think about that? Like that 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 internal experience eventually expressing out into you know a physical manifestation, 
and you know, some path maybe towards like finding relationship or balance or homeostasis between the two, the internal and the external, I guess is maybe like why I was, I wanted to have this conversation with you. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that you definitely, the idea that there is a relationship between, let's say our own inner direction and our the exterior manifestations in the body is definitely something which happens. I think the mistake that we make, especially us today, is that we we look for, we think that we're going to find that in some kind of like comfort. Like we think we're going to find that in some kind of, uh, uh, you know, if I could just be relaxed enough, if I could just rest enough, if I could just, you know, um, let's say, serve myself enough. Like if I could take care of my needs, you know, I need to, I need some me time. Like that's the, that's the, the, the modern way of looking at it. That actually accentuates the problem. And it, I think that the, the more ancient solution would have been something like give yourself. If you give yourself, then a lot of those other things, they tend to diminish. Not that you won't be sick. Maybe you will, but it won't matter so much because you'll be living, uh, You'll be living a purposeful life and you'll be living towards towards because what do you do? What do you want? You just want to live until you're 99 years old and be miserable, you know, and internally and be physically you could be physically fit and kind of looking to be relaxed and to, to live as long as possible. Or it seems like the the more ancient vision is something like give yourself. If you give yourself, then you actually might have a very short life. You might have a very short and painful life, but that short and painful life will be bright. It'll be shining. And look at the people that we admire. Like we, we, we don't admire, we admire people that have done that, right? Those are the people that shine to us like, like stars, people who, who give themselves for a cause, who give themselves to others, you know, they become something else. And so the image that we have, for example, in Christianity is actually the opposite of it's, it really is the image of someone who's willing to die for his friends, who's willing to die for others. Right. That is actually what brings the real balance. Um, but I, but yeah. I do feel like right now we have a kind of weird twisted version of that, which is trying to heal my own, all my own issues, like heal my stuff, and then, yeah. then I'll find homeostasis. But Yeah, there's a book I've mentioned here a bunch of times called Whatever You Think, Think the Opposite by Paul Arden. I think that comes up in what you're saying now i think there's like you would th i would think that by focusing on the individual the individual will start to get you know become more and more robust and and you know, like well developed and complex and content you know and all of those things but in fact it takes rel like relinquishing the attachment to the self in order to come back around and heal the self and like grow the self. So it's like in the forgetting of the self, the self is actually has the spaciousness to, to grow and heal and do all the things. But whereas when there's excessive focus on the self and losing that connection outward, then it's like, I feel like the self like suffocates on its self. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But there is like, there is a possibility of practicing, practicing uh, doing certain practices you know on, on yourself with yourself like me meditation prayer mm -hmm. uh, some kind of ascesis you know when you and i think people who also do physical activity have a different version of that which is that you feel your limit you know you feel your limit constantly and you're trying to push further than your limit those are those are practices that can actually help you understand how it works like it's not about it's not it's not comfort 
doesn't give meaning at all. Like, you know, feeling good about yourself is not is not the way to go. <laughs> People are going to hate hearing that. But actually trying to anything that makes you transcend yourself is going to start with pain. It's going to start with a sense of disease. Exactly. A disease in general. Like I am I'm not where I should be. I need I need I need to 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 kind of move in the right direction. Of course, we can beat ourselves up too, and that's not helpful. Usually beating ourselves up for not being where we want to be is another kind of weird self-centered thing. Like it's a weird kind of, uh, kind of moving in back, moving into experience and, and, and just feeling sorry for yourself or feeling guilty all the time. That's probably not, that's not the right way to go about it either, but you do need to feel some pain in order to move towards meaning. Yeah. There, so back to Verveke, something that I learned from him is the, the origin of the word religion is religio or something of the sort, and it, it means to bind or to bring together, like to yep. unite, mm-hmm. which is also the origin of the word yoga, yoke, union, connection. Uh, it's like it, go, it like spans across so many different ideologies. This idea of, of like connection, yeah. And so I I feel like the word religion, the word God, um, the word spirit, spirituality, all of those have so many. Um, meanings and kind of like these crusty old barnacles attached to them. Yeah. And so that like at the, at the, at the root of most of those words, it's like, Oh, it's pretty good. It's, it's, it's valuable. <laughs> but then the outside, there's just a lot of, of, of um, flaky. <laughs> so yeah. A lot flaky. of, a lot of flakes attached. No, I to totally it. agree. And now, Especially- and now it's, now there's a confusion for the flake for the actual, like the, the, the root. No, you're right. And it's, and it, it's actually the fault a lot of it is the fault of the religious people where they started. I think there was a lot of forgetting, like just a forgetting of what all this stuff is about and it becoming more and more arbitrary in the modern world. As people became materialist, it's as if a lot of this stuff became arbitrary. So it was like when you're a Christian, so you believe that some guy died on a cross and now you're going to go to heaven. If you believe that it's that's, that's what, that's what a Christian is really like, that's it. That's pathetic. Like that's really lame if that's what it is. But if well, we it's can, really under- cu- it's really cute. It's like childish, <laughs> right? It's, it's, like, like- it's like really beautiful. Actually. It's like, wow. Like you are a 50 year old woman or man. And this is like a Disney, which, you know, I think there's a lot of meaning in, in fictional novels and tales and all that stuff. And they're, they're relating back to that core root truth typically. But it's, I mean, I think it's, I think I, not, not having like a pessimistic view of like, oh my God, I can't believe it. It's also kind of like, wow, like, that's amazing. <laughs> like, I find that beautiful. Well, I mean, I think that for, for, for a lot of people having that, maybe that simple faith could probably be totally fine. But it also, there also needs to be, an, there needs to be an intellectual version of that. And it, it has always existed. It was always there. If you read the early church fathers, you read the mystics, like it's all there. It's just that a lot of it has been forgotten. And it's interesting because right now there's an interesting moment, like people like John Ravake are part of that, where because of the space, because of the space where cognitive science is now introducing itself into the discourse, and we realize that we can't escape perception, like we can't escape this experience of the world, and that we can't pretend like it's not there and just talk about science as if it's outside of that. So coming back to this experience and this experience of quality of this experience of, you know, of patterns and of embodiment, then we can start to realize what religion is again. We can start to understand it, that we can we can see that 
the world presents itself as so multifaceted that unless we have things which bind phenomena together, then everything scatters, especially at the human level. If we don't have ritualization, we don't have story, we don't have orders which bind even yourself, like your own personal self and your family, and then you scale that up, you know, cosmically, then the world doesn't exist. And then you realize, oh, well, that's what religion is. It's the it's the manner in which things bind together. That ends up looking like ritual. It ends up looking like story. It ends up looking like all the things which people think are silly and superstitious. But actually, without them, reality scatters. And you can, you can apply it to your life. You realize actually that most of the things you do are ritualized. And there's nothing superstitious about them. Like brushing your teeth is a ritualized act towards a purpose. But you have ritualized acts towards purposes that are higher than just getting your teeth clean, that are about how can we bind together as a group? How can we recognize what it is that we have in common? And then it looks like processions. It looks like circumambulation. It looks like singing together. It looks like all these things which which the modern person found silly. It, yeah. They kind of flow back in. I feel like there can be, like I mean, like you're saying, like you can't escape religion you can't escape dogma well you didn't say you can't you can't didn't say that exactly but i imagine you probably align with that to some degree or maybe not um but so today you can see christianity seems at least in my bubble of a world that i exist in seems to be waning popularity of it you know there's a lot more like spirituality in quotations there's yeah. a, like we're certainly worshiping you know we worship our cell phones we worship our notifications we worship our financial status we worship our socioeconomic status where we're at in the, on the ladder you know so we're like we're worshiping oh yeah a lot a lot maybe more For than sure. ever really <laughs> as far as like com like compulsive worship yeah. we might be at the highest you know not that it's a competition but we may be at like the highest state of worship ever at least from a lens of like compulsive worship yeah, but there's also there's also prescribed there's also like prescribed worship, which is actually pretty strong right now. People don't really realize it, but you know, it's 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 just because people have separated the notion of religion from other ritualized aspects of their life. But if, for example, you realize you could say that recycling is a form of worship, you know, because you are ritually acting in a way which is which is prescribed to you from above in order to participate in a story and a purpose together. And so we all, you know, on one day, this day a week, we all put out our, our separated materials or whatever. And so there is a ritualized procession about that, which is similar to a religious procession. It's just that it's ordered towards something else. And you can say what's different because that's really valuable. Like saving the environment is really valuable. And I would say, yeah, you're right. Saving the, is, saving the environment is really valuable. But us binding together, let's say, under the transcendent source of love, is probably pretty valuable too, right? It probably has a value that 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 is powerful as well. So I think we can re-understand a lot of the a lot of the practices of our ancestors, even if we if we're able to notice, like you said, that we worship. And the problem is exactly what you said is that. Addiction is a form of worship, especially addiction. It's it's one of the most easy. If you want to understand worship, like addiction is one of the best ways because it's a ritualized cycle of attention, you know, and you get possessed by it and it actually ends up 
let's say, reorganizing your life around its its attention, right? Around its existence. And so it actually uses you as a body in order to make sure that you are sacrificing and propitiating to this God. Um but you can see how it's a, it's like a demon, right? It's like a parasitic God, you could say. It's a God that actually ultimately wants to destroy you. Um, but there, are, but it can help you understand what worship is, which is that when we would do that, like if a person would go through the beads of their, you know, of their prayer rope or whatever, like that's that's similar in terms of this binded attention, which is ritualized in order to get you somewhere. Yeah, there's a, a quote from Alan Watts. I mean, I think it's from Alan Watts. I've heard it from Alan Watts. It said that, that we're confusing the the menus for the meal, and so we're eating, you know, a the the words duck confit, you know, like hmm, like chewing on the paper duck confit, but there's no like fat, you know, and omega threes and and like there's it's just not there's no calories there. Yeah, and so that's the the reason that that that. that quotes coming to mind is like, I I wonder if there is some hierarchy of worship. I, I think oftentimes we can romanticize the ancients, you know, and romanticize hunter-gatherers and like everything we're doing now is wrong. Yeah. And everything that happened yesterday was the way. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like, what is like, is there like some ultimate absolute better, you know, or is that like, how do we parse apart? Like, where is the menu? Where is the meal? Does yeah. it matter in the first place? Are we all just going to end up in the same place anyway? Yeah. Well, I think there is. I think there's an objective I think there's an objective hierarchy of worship for sure, and you can actually see it kind of playing itself out in the the story of religion or the manner in which religion developed through the centuries, and it does have to do with understanding where the good lies, you could say. Where what is it the good that binds us? What is it, you know? And I would say that it moves towards something like love towards something like compassion, self-giving or self-sacrifice. And I think that you can find that, you know, of course in Christianity, but I think you see some of that in Buddhism, although it's not personalized so much in Buddhism. Um, But you do find this idea that the highest, let's say the highest value, the thing that should bind us together is actually paradoxically a giving away. Like it's a, it's a self-emptying and this self-emptying becomes like a, becomes the 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 thing which makes it possible for us to exist as more than just this these selfish little beings, uh, and so I think that 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 is a real that is a true hierarchy of of being. And so you can imagine local gods, for example, in the time of hunter gatherers that had some function and some power over the group and would bind them together, would give them a totem, would give them some type of identity and characteristics that they could that they could celebrate and participate in. Um, but ultimately, that leads to constant war. Like it just leads to nonstop war, mm-hmm. because you're you're these gods are fighting in the heavens, right? These different go- these different totems and gods are fighting amongst each other as the tribes fight and are constantly at war. We always forget that the Greeks, even though they they saw themselves as being one people, they were always fighting nonstop every year. Yeah. People would go to war. So the idea of binding towards higher goods. I think it's something which happened for a reason. I, as far as like making this conversation actionable towards some you know, directionality in one's life, uh, something that I, I, I think I could use more of, and and me being like a product of the culture that I've that I've been been you know grown in, um, 
I've heard you mention before, and then it caused me to, to look it up, that the Plato's Transcendentals, the three Transcendentals, is beauty, goodness, and truth is what I read on the internet yep. for that. And that, I think, is something that is is kind of can easily be forgotten in the, the modern era, to, to pick on the modern era. You know, and that's like, I just got back from Greece, thankfully. It was really like an exceptional experience. And we went to various different islands there and, you know, learned about the, the god Asclepius, the god of medicine and, and the way that they approached medicine. And the way that they approached medicine, one, theaters were, were built beside or very close to hospitals, which I thought was very interesting. So that concept of theater was like an entrenched within medicine. And when you enter into the hospital, it was, it was really beautiful. And there was, there was art and you'd get into, you know, a body of water and you'd, you know, cold plunge and hot tub. And, you know, there was, it was, and, and what that, the way that the tour guides described to me was through art that, that like that, um, the, the emotive power of art, um, and also senses, you know, so like Tantra in a way you could say maybe, uh, that kind of softens up and opens up some space within like the tour guide said, like the soul. You know, so whatever, whatever word you want to put that, that deeper part. And I feel like in the modern era, there's a bit of a jump to just what is the physical expression. Now let's like attack that physical expression as opposed to allowing spaciousness and using some of these softer tactics to kind of go through and, 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 and open up some space to be able to you know, get into like what night, what lies beneath that outer physical expression. So that's something I think that was very wordy, um, but essentially, the the question or curiosity is is the, from your perception, what do you see that the value in Plato's three transcendentals, beauty, goodness, and truth, in um, supporting us as modern people, at least from like a, a medical perspective? I think you're you're on definitely onto something, and you you understand it. It's a good way to understand the moment in which we are now. That is, right now we we. We have the, we have exactly this idea that if we're treating the 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 body like if someone's sick, we're just going to treat the body. So we bring someone to a horrendous place, like a horrendous place of of uh, fluorescent lights, you know, and and green plastic things, and you know, and, and metal bars that metal beds that look like prison bars. And that's where we bring people to heal. Because it's crazy, right? because we think that it's like, well, it's just a, it's just like, it's just a car, right? We're just fixing a car, so we're right. gonna, we're gonna bring someone, we're gonna, we're gonna put them in a rooms with several people, and we're going to, we're gonna embarrass them, have them, you know, wear these horrible nightgowns or whatever. Like everything about it is this reduction of the human person to, uh, to a machine, and that's exactly the the problem. That's exactly the problem that. Uh, that we mentioned a little earlier, which is that with the return of something like cognitive science, we're realizing that no, you can't pretend like there is no experience of the world and that that experience of the world doesn't participate in, in your, in, in, in the medical, in your healing. Like the, for example, the placebo effect is a great example, right? So we believe every medical doctor believes that there's a placebo effect to medicine. But they tried to reduce that effect as much as possible because they want to reduce you to a machine. And if you could prove that augmenting the placebo effect 
could actually help you heal faster. They, they don't care because they don't like that idea. They don't like the idea that that mind, that experience participates in in your in your experience. And so when they look at ancient medicine and they see the ritualization, they see the drama, like you said, in in relationship to the, the medical practice, they think it's all hocus pocus nonsense. But they still believe that there's that there's a placebo effect. It's hilarious. It's like, why wouldn't you why couldn't you use the best of medicine and then create a a, a ritualized drama? of practice in which you would enter into the medical relationship as, you know, as a, like you said, like as a, as a being in counting beauty, it's not possible. Like our world is too gone, at least for now, it's too gone for that. So we're stuck with these horrible cement parking garages that are called hospitals. Yeah. I wonder anytime someone uses the, the, the term they, I always, my mind always jumps to like, who is they? And then also want is another curiosity. Like, I don't know that I'd love to, for you to define they, uh, in, in relation to that statement. And then also drawing back on, on want. So they want to reduce us to a machine. It feels to me kind of just like it is reducing itself to a machine. So what is the it now in this one? It would be the zeitgeist, like the totality of culture moving yeah. together. And then we have these individual nodes that pop up and they're wearing, you know, a lab coat and their name's Dr. Sanders or whatever. All right. So let's 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 frame it this way. So the movement, the same movement which moved against religio and described religio as being hocus pocus magic and and uh superstition uh and ridiculous things people did or things people did that were imposed by power and, and, and patriarchy or whatever, however you want to describe it, this, the same, let's say narrative, you could call it like the worst of the enlightenment narrative, the worst of the, of the materialist scientific narrative, that narrative leads at the same time to parking garage hospitals, you know, because, because there's a coherence in the reduction of everything to its material causes that brings about, you know the, the 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 medical establishment that we're that we're dealing with, and so yeah. it's of course it's a side effect. Like I don't think that Locke and Hobbes thought that we would get to where we are. I don't think that they would that they that they could have predicted that their ideas about about rationality and Occam's razor and you know this these scientific revolutions that we went through would lead us to a kind of dehumanized uh, machine body. But that is what happened in the in those causes um but like i said i do think so it's I, you're right when i say they i don't mean i can't I, I can't it's not the doctors it's not their fault it's not it's not the it's not even the medical establishment's fault uh, at at this point but it is a movement like it is a it is a a line that you can draw from certain changes which happened in history which brought us to this point um but at the same time i do think that Seeing that now, there are possibilities of of alternatives. It's harder in the medical world, but there are other places where you can, where you can, where someone can do that. For example, the same thing with schools. Like schools are basically, you know, they're factories for children. Like they're they're just factories pumping out children into the world. Now that there's a place where you can, where someone can find better alternatives. You know, homeschool, private schools 
whatever schools that are more integra- integrative and, and integrate uh, storytelling and culture and ritual and practice into into a, a child's life rather than just have them go through the system. Yeah. Um, but medical stuff is is harder because it's so so big and there's such a yeah and there's also cranks like that are real cranks that exist in that in that world of healing too it feels to me when i say like the they and like you know the it and all that as opposed to to personalizing an individual having any type of intention which that's a question i have as as well as like how much sovereignty do we have in our choices and how much are we just a, a part of this collective consciousness and we're just you know a barrel of water just sloshing about you know and uh within that if we are just this Slosh and I don't know if slosh and barrel of water really works as an analogy, but I'll try to force it. No, but I understand what you mean. Like we're we're just in the current. Like we're just we're just in the current go, going downstream, and and, yeah. and there's not much we can do. We can notice that this isn't pleasant, but it's not easy to understand how to go how to go upstream. Like it's just not that simple. Yeah, and and so it it feels to me like perhaps since the at, at one point there was more um, you know nature worship and animism and and you know probably more like matriarchal societies were, were more common and things of the sort and then there was a, a shift so the the metaphoric water sloshing about going to one side and then i feel like you know all uh say like maybe cartesian times or newtonian times and kind of entering into like aha no like scientism this is the solution you know, and pragmatism and everything needs to be rationalized and I need to be able to hold it and measure it. And that is truth. I, I don't know that culture as a whole is like, aha, like, yes, I think it's, I, it feels to me kind of like, it's just like a pendulum swinging. And right now we're kind of, I don't know where we're at. If it is a pendulum swinging, I don't know where on, on the swing we are, but we're certainly in some pragmatic reductionist rational swing phase. And it feels like there's a yearning to kind of find some center or maybe wildly swing back to the other side. Yeah, well, there's, you could, I think you could see the extremes at the same time. So I, I think that's probably the best way to understand, especially the modern, like the modern world, is to understand it as extremes manifesting themselves. They, there is a bit of a pendulum, but you can also see it happening at the same time. So if you look at the in the rationalism right after the rational, like the hyper-rationalist phase was romanticism and symbolism and the kind of the degenerate symbolic thinking that we saw, you know, in the 18th, 19th century, which was about fantastical imagination, all that stuff, you know, and the occultism that came with that type of thinking as well. So if you look at the the modern world is both the rationalism, hyper-rationalism and all that stuff, but it's also like weird occultism and, and, uh, you know, Crowley and and a return of witchcraft and uh, and Lovatsky and theosophy and all that kind of that other side of modernity, which happens at the same time. So right now we could see that the, the internet is a great example. The internet is a mix of hyper rationality and control and you know like furry avatars in the metaverse, which is like complete explosion of rationality into into idiosyncrasy in ways that you could never ever imagine in the past like you can you can be anything that you can possibly imagine in in the metaverse but that's also that's happening at the same time as this this hyper rational kind of strange control 
And yeah. so, so I think that's probably the best way because it's hard to, it would be hard to understand our moment if we didn't see those two things happening at the same time. I'd like to take a moment and share a tool that I found to be very interesting and very supportive for negating the effects of EMF or electromagnetic frequencies. If you live in an apartment or a house with Wi-Fi, or you have a cell phone, or there's a 5G tower near your place, any of the things of the sort, we are bioelectric organisms. It is immensely valuable to do things like just get outside, get near water, take your shoes off, go for a walk, get your feet in the ground. All of those are supportive for reducing things like inflammation, helping with tissue repair and things of the sort. And something else that you can do is you can integrate a Soma Vedic device into your home. What it does is it emits a harmonic field within 100 feet in all directions, penetrating through walls and floors, and is shown to be supportive with lowering blood pressure, uh, supporting heart rate variability, blood oxygen levels, cellular regeneration, and a lot more. It's a very cool device. There's a ton of research around it, and if you're interested in improving your own health and offsetting some of the deleterious effects of dirty electricity and EMF in your life, uh, I recommend giving this thing a shot. If you do not absolutely love it, if you do not feel a difference upon getting it, there is a 60-day money-back guarantee. So you have absolutely nothing to lose. You can grab this thing. If it makes you feel better, makes your family feel better, great. Uh, and if you do not notice a difference, there is a 60-day money-back guarantee. There's a five-year warranty. And you can get a discount by going to somavedic.com and using the code ALIGN, A-L-I-G-N, at checkout for 10% off your purchase. Once again, if this thing does not knock your socks off, uh, 60 day money back guarantee. So you got nothing to lose. I think you guys will enjoy it. Jump over to somavedic.com and utilize the align code at checkout for 10% off. That's S-O-M-A-V-E-D-I-C.com and use promo code align for 10% off your purchase. I'm going to take a moment and share my absolute favorite quote-unquote biohack. It's not a biohack at all. It's just something that makes you feel incredibly well. It is not that easy to do. That is cold water thermogenesis, i.e. cold plunging. Um, I have been doing this for consistently for the last six to seven or so years now, and uh, I'm a huge fan. Uh, it's something that I utilize for healing. Uh, for repair, restoration. Uh, it's great for energy levels. It's helpful for sleep. It's helpful just as an overall reset for your nervous system. Uh, it's great for metabolic function. It's great for actually converting your white fat into brown fat, which is more metabolically efficient. It is good stuff, and I think everybody ought to have themselves a cold plunge at their place. That is why I like Ice Barrel. Ice Barrel is great because it is affordable. For one thing, it's the most affordable cold plunge out there. Uh, it is vertical, which is fantastic as well. So I have it sitting on a pretty small porch at my place presently. I'm looking at it right now. Uh, it's beautiful. It's got a little step. You walk up into it. It looks like kind of like a classic barrel except it's black and uh it is cool i think you guys are going to dig it you can get yourself 125 dollars off your purchase if you want to try it yourself you just jump over to icebarrel.com slash align ice barrel spelled i-c-e-b-a-r-r-e-l.com slash align they have a 30-day money-back guarantee 100 satisfaction if you do not love this thing in your home, which I know that you will, uh, then you get your money back, no questions asked. Icebarrel.com slash align, $125 off your purchase.
and I, I'd like to at some point probably try to draw back to some kind of like actual what can we do type type scenario. Uh, <laughs> but something that I, I was listening to your podcast with Michaela Peterson in preparation mm -hmm. to this one. And one of the things that I, I heard her saying throughout that seemed like she was kind of like at, uh, at least acknowledging with herself, historically speaking, and seems like a little bit present as well, uh, leaning towards like rationality and logic and pragmatism as like a safe haven. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's very common. Like I can, I can notice that with myself. And I think many, many people, we can oftentimes not projecting any of this on her. This is something I noticed now, like just back to speaking about me. I think I can lean on pragmatism as a way, because I feel like there's almost like a fear of chaos. And, and that, that deeper under part, you know, like there's a quote that I, I, from Marianne Williamson, who I've also had on here, said our, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. And I, I feel like that, that undercurrent, that under part, that's sometimes I think in this, in this modern era, that's kind of, it can be like masked by rationale and science and logic and imperial research. And it's not a thing until it's been studied and all the peers have reviewed it. And then we can start to like actually have a conversation. Yeah. But there's also this welling, this well beneath that. It's like, oh, like perhaps access to, you know, the, all the power and answers to, you know, every, everything you could possibly imagine. But there, I feel like there's a little bit almost like of a, for, for me, I can notice like a, like almost like a fear or a resistance around that part. And so I'll just lean on science and lean on rationality and lean on, you know, because I don't want to kind of touch the yeah. chaos of what's inside. Yeah. But I, I also think that it's important. This is something that is difficult because Jungians are popular right now, I guess, in part because of Jordan Peterson. But there's a, a tendency to confuse two things. Like there's, there's a transrational space and there's a pre-rational space or, a, you know, a there's something like this subconscious, you could say. There's something like supra consciousness, and those they can look the same to people that are just trapped in consciousness. But if you read any traditional text from any religion, they clearly demarcate those as not being the same. And so the kind of chaos, the dream kind of chaos, that 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 kind of emotional romantic uh, feeling that you get is not the same as the sense that things culminate into a unity which is beyond the particulars, right? That, that there's this drive up towards something which is pulling me beyond the world. Now, I understand why it, it can seem like sometimes it's the same in, in, your, in your experience, but there's a, you could understand the rationality or the rational world is, is this like buffered space that exists between those two poles. Something which is pulling you up towards, you could say, the way to understand it would be that as an individual, for example, right, if you give yourself to a higher cause, right, that higher cause is not in the individual. It's not, it's not there. So if you take the, the world of the individual and you analyze it, every single aspect of it, you're never going to get the highest cause to which you're willing to sacrifice yourself for. Does that make sense? And so now think of that for everything. Like the, there's a world of, of structured causality, but that world of structured causality gives itself up towards higher participations, you could say. Um, 
And then there's also a way in which it dissolves into nothingness. So you as an individual, let's say, the manner in which you could dissolve into all kinds of idiosyncratic bad habits or passions or the way you could become obsessed with things and kind of devolve into something which is not rational at all, right? It's like there's nothing... If you once once if you analyze you becoming addicted to things, you realize this is not rational. Like this is this is this is breaking me apart. It's fragmenting me completely. But that is different from this giving up. You could say the way in which you participate. I don't know if that makes sense. It, it's important, I think, because it, people are right now are so confused. They think that spirituality is sometimes they think that spirituality is this lower stuff down here. Like it's about feeling and about you know how I you know, how I, how I feel about myself or how I feel about others or these like these kind of vague intuitions that you get about, about, uh, about things. But the world, the higher world or the world of spiritual participation is in some ways it, it's transrational, but once you grasp it, it's super clear. Like it's, right. It's like the clearest thing you'll ever see. It, it appears as a, as a beacon of, of light that's kind of guiding you beyond your limited world. Yeah. The the only issue I have with the idea of like higher and and lower and placing a hierarchy on states of consciousness and like aspects of, I don't know, existence, life, is I think there can be a fragmentation or divorcing or a separation within self through that separation. And the idea that something is higher than something else you know what I, mean? I understand why you say that, but it's also because this is the issue, the problem of equal, of like equalizing everything is that hierarchies don't compete with their levels. That is that if you are a healthy individual and all your thoughts and your passions are joined together, then you will actually become the best part of a higher participation. Hmm. So you will actually be a better member of your family if you are united in that in the in the individual part yeah. and so it doesn't compete that's what cults do cults if you want to know the difference between a real religion and a cult a cult will try to compete with lower levels of a participation like a cult will say you have to deny your family you have to deny all these lower participations and so it's the same with like uh it's the same with any hierarchy of of, of anything right and so if you if you understand, for example, that love is the highest virtue, right? And so you can also understand that being good at something at a lower scale, it doesn't compete with that. So you could be good at your job, but that if you're good at your job, I don't know, like if you're good at, at making shoes, it's like that good can embed itself in, in love because you can do it in a way that serves your community, or you could do it in a way that's selfish and is just to fill your pockets. But but there's a manner in which those goods that scale up, they actually don't compete with each other. They they yeah. fit into each other like a, this beautiful fractal dance, right? Everything kind of embeds itself into into the rest. There's probably some way to to literally define the experience of love being like a higher vibratory state, and then within that, it's like. I, I, maybe maybe you could relate it to like spectrums of light and there's been kind of a war against blue light recently i don't know if you if you pay attention to things of this well, sort like where we're, and stuff like yeah know. exactly exactly like where your blue blockers you know like the blue light it's bad you know and it's like well, no, no no it's not bad it's just one frequency that serves a purpose 
It's just serves a purpose at, at specific time for specific functions, you know, and so low, low frequency light and the, you know, infrareds and reds and oranges and all that stuff, incredibly valuable, really high frequency light that, you know, the, the blues and all that, like, that's like really valuable. And when, if we're playing the game where like, oh, I'm, I'm tribe blue light and like, no, 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 I'm tribe orange light or red light. You know, this is better. It's more healthy. It's like, well, the, 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 going back to like the, the original derivative of health, health comes back to wholeness. And so again, like all of this comes back to like, okay, how do we get, if, if what one's intention is a sensation probably of, I don't know, like cellular function, you know, and, and, and satisfaction, probably the conjoining of all of the tribes and being able to actually be able to see that there really is um, value in in all of it and not kind of casting any of it out, but actually coming through, I'm kind of going out into the weeds here, but I think I think there's the availability to perceive everything through that lens of of love and acceptance, but not necessarily swallow the pill entirely and say, okay, I'm going to see this state or frequency or whatever through love and acceptance. So I'm just going to become that. And that is all of me. Yeah. Like I'm able to actually absorb and be with all things, but not get trapped in the like, kind of the tribalistic thing that tends to happen where we start to create more segregation, more isolation. And then oftentimes it's in the guise of some higher power. The idea. So in Dante, for example, you see the way that he presents things are, is, is perfect. He says that all, let's say all sin is something like misplaced love or mm. too much love or too little love or, or not, or, or love that is kind of twisted. And so the idea is that all things are good if they're properly aligned. Like nothing is bad in itself. That's ridiculous. Like it's not a, that's definitely not a Christian way of seeing the world. All things are good and that they just have to be in their proper place. So your analogy of light is a good example. It's like, well, obviously blue light isn't bad. It's, it's just that it has to, it has to be in the, in the proper proportion for what a human being is. Mm-hmm. And you could, you could say that about things that are, Maybe maybe more more human, for example. So you you could imagine something like entertainment is is entertainment good or is entertainment bad? And you could say, well, entertainment is good if it's in the proper proportion to other things in your life that are that are aimed towards towards bringing all things together in the good. Uh, but if you live a life of just entertainment, right? It's like saying, is eating dessert bad? It's not bad if if it's properly ordered but if you yeah. just eat dessert nonstop, then you're going to get sick like it's actually going to affect you and if you just yeah. spend your whole day watching movies and playing video games then it's actually going to it's actually going to affect you but the other one is true as well right if you spend your whole day working if you spend your whole day doing whatever it is that you do without giving room for the things that are that are also good then you will then you, you you'll have the same problem from the other side well you're you're going to become like someone who's super strict with themselves that doesn't leave any room for some play, let's say, in terms of personal discipline, yeah. is going to crack. Like they're just at some point they crack and they 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 kind of collapse. Yeah. There's another, uh, I'll be less quotatious after this, I think, but there's another quote from Victor Frankl. He said, uh, something like paraphrase, something along the lines of, of those who lack purpose will seek pleasure instead as like a replacement. And that, I think that kind of turns into like this, this like hungry ghost type 
sensation, like this ongoing reaching out for those little hits. <sighs> yeah. You know, because there's that that lack of foundation of like <sighs> actually feeling held and supported in a part of a fabric of something bigger than just this self. Yeah. Well, you could say that that's the, so the drug epidemic in the, in the North America is, seems to be really a product of the meaning crisis, like a product of people not having direction and purpose. Mm -hmm. And so kind of spiraling into exactly what you said into this, this more and more extreme uh, desire to, to, to feel something, you know? Yeah. We just want to feel. Yeah. Uh, How do you, how are you with feeling? Do you feel like, where are you with all all these conversations? Like, do you, do you have like a, like a, any type of, of like unquenched yearning sensations that, that I experience, for example? Oh, of course. I think that's really part of being human, you know? Yeah. And it, I mean, it's just, of course that happens. And, and I think that it's also, if you're conscious about it and you're aware of it, then you can also realize what it is that, what that's for. Now, I think especially sexual desire, the thing that, once we, you know, you know, one of the things that happened right in the sixties and then ongoing from there, but it, there were waves of that before in the kind of decadent end of century times is that we had this sense that if we could just satisfy our sexual desires and proclivities, then, you know, everybody would get along and we'd all be happy. Yeah. But it turns out that if you focus on that, then it's an, an unlimited source of frustration because your desires just get, more and more idiosyncratic and bigger and bigger and more and more, uh, you know, you need more in order to feel, it's almost like it's the same as drugs. Right? It's like you need yeah. more in order to feel taken further, you could say. The hedonic, um, hedonic treadmill. Exactly. And so, if but if you realize that, then you're like, okay, well, you know, how am I going to deal with this, right? So this, so for example, marriage is a good way to do it because it's hard to do it on your own. It's really hard because it's like, but if you're married to someone you that you love, that person will act as both a, let's say a place for your sexual desire, but also a limit to your sexual desire because hmm. it's one person. And it's like that person has a limit. Like they have a sexual, they have, especially, especially for men. Like if you're married to a woman, like that woman has a certain limit at some point, it's going to start manifesting itself. And so then you were like, okay, so that feeling, then you feel it, right? Then you feel that, you feel that longing or you feel that lack or that hole that it's causing in you. Hmm. And then you can realize too, but you can realize that actually the problem is that the sex doesn't fill that hole. It's, it's fine. There's nothing wrong with sex. Like it's sex is great, but it's never going to fill that hole completely because that hole keeps getting bigger for some reason. It just keeps getting or more weird and more, you know, idiosyncratic. And so that's, I think that's the real idea of sublimation, you could say, where it's like you realize, wait a minute, that suffering and that longing is energy. It's actual, it's actual fuel. Hmm. And if, and I can redirect that fuel towards other things and you don't even realize that you, that that exists until you feel it, right? If you're just always kind of somewhat satisfied, you're not going to realize that the this longing, this longing that you have can be redirected and it can be redirected towards projects. It can be redirected towards, you know, accomplishing some great task. It can be redirected towards prayer. It can be redirected in all kinds of directions. And then you then you can see almost what that longing is for, actually. 
Hmm. So definitely, of course, I have I have that, and I hope that I'm doing as much as possible to make it to make it fruitful, to make that longing fruitful. How often do you misdirect that energy into like self destruction and burning yourself up? Yeah, probably all the time in little ways. Like, <laughs> I mean, like little moments. It's not it's not like big things, but it's like little moments where you you have a frustration or you have a, a sense that you know you're not getting what you should in terms of care in terms I mean it's not just sex but it's like in terms of love in terms of attention in terms of of this it's like you can feel that every day if you're if you're careful to how you how, especially when you're in a family and you you have all these dynamics so I would say it happens quite a bit yeah. but but it's it's like these little moments where you kind of have to you have to wake up you know and then mm-hmm. until you wake up, then you you end up in these spirals of of frustration. Uh, but yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm 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 a human human being, so it happens quite a bit. The 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 sex one, I think, is especially interesting because it seems clear that uh, from an evolutionary perspective, it would make sense for humans to yearn to have sex with more than one person like you know spread the seed spread the species yeah. spread the genetics what else you know what else we're we gonna do yeah you know and and you know build shelter you know weather the storm spread your genes hunt do it over again yeah <laughs> and, and then there's like this you know this kind of new world that we exist in and nuclear families and these social contracts and you know agreements that kind of in a way sits on top but also we're working on integrating the two to make it be whole, make it like be health, yeah. make it be, you know, re- religio, make it, you know, all of that. But it feels almost like there's two intersecting tracks in that, like your, your, your primal carnal urges to spread the genes. Yep. And then, you know, it's like from a, from an evolutionary perspective, males would be sexually selected based off of those that like the Genghis Khans of the world would be more spread. But it, it's your, your insight is great. It's great, but it's important to understand it, that, that it's important to understand it in terms of these higher goods that we talk about. Right. And so sexuality is probably the easiest way or the best way to understand it, which is that at some point we understand that we have to give up that some of that, for something which binds us at a higher level. And actually that would be necessary at any at any scale. Like it would be necessary if you just had one male, like in the human species, if you just had one male that was mating with all the women and there and the other males had no access to women, you would have carnage. Mm-hmm. Like you would just have fighting all the time. And 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 the, the truth is that like people idealized hunter-gatherer societies, but you can imagine that people were fighting all of the time. And I've been in contact with with groups that aren't necessarily hunter-gatherers, but have more of that kind of ancient pagan uh, way of being. And that's what happens. People fight over girls nonstop. They fight over women all the time. Uh, and people will kill for women, you know? And so this is something which is, and so there's a sense in which you can understand that giving up some of that desire towards higher participation in a society, you can understand that that's fractal, that that's also what you do in you, which is that you realize, oh, 
if I just focus on pleasure, then I'm not going to be able to accomplish my goals. And so I have to sacrifice some of that and I have to redirect it towards something higher, which I perceive as higher, as a, as a higher good. It doesn't mean that those desires are bad or that pleasure is bad. None of that is bad. But I do have to concentrate it and re reorient it. And then I realize, wait a minute, actually what I get from above, when I, what I get from that is really valuable. Hmm. And the kind of pleasure that I get, let's say, the pleasure of accomplishing something or the pleasure of, of uh, intellectual, uh, intellectual understanding, it's, a, it's subtle. It's more subtle than an orgasm. But it calls you, like it, it, it calls you and it has a, it has a force that I think that especially as you get older, like if when, when you're like 17, it's hard to argue with that with someone who's like just exploding with, with testosterone. But like as you kind of get into your 30s and you, you kind of get older, you start to see how actually giving up towards these higher participations, they offer you a type of pleasure which is very different, but is, but is maybe even more valuable. Yeah. They, my uh, buddy I've had on here called Chris Williamson. I feel like you guys have maybe, have you done the modern wisdom podcast, Chris Williamson? I don't think so. Anyways, he's sweet. Uh, a term that I got from him is, is uh, post nut clarity. After you. <laughs> <laughs> and everything you're saying is true. Yeah. Post ejaculation. Yeah, but yeah. To, to yeah. be able to like sacrifice that, like the bef before, I feel like this is kind of comes into comes back to like you know probably a lot of religious philosophies or or religions um, or ideologies, but like like the value of, of sacrifice, you know, and God sacrificing His only Son, you know, on the cross to yeah, save us all from His sins, crap. and like yeah, like the the eth the ethics within that, like they they they're they've been around for a while. And it seems like, so that's kind of at a more macro, you know, like quote unquote God level. And then individually, I think we can experience that as well. And then I, I think that's where there is value. But let me give you a, just an example based on what you just said, which is that yeah. think about, like when I say giving yourself to a higher good. So think about you're in a situation and you could sleep with your friend's girlfriend, like she's up for it, but you yeah. know the consequence of that, right? You know what that's going to cost you. And so you decide that actually the friendship I have, my friend, is more valuable than the immediate pleasure. And so you sacrifice that moment, that possibility, in order to be bound to a, a, a relationship, right? So you can imagine yeah. that at multiple levels, like that kind of decision. That's the kind of decision that I'm talking about, which is that you're, you're, you're actually, you're sacrificing immediate I mean, it's just like delayed satisfaction, but I mean, you can think of it at a, even at a higher level. It's not just that you delay it for later, that you're giving it up towards something higher, something more that, that is less, less bodily pleasure, but it, it is a more kind of spiritual pleasure, you could say. Yeah. So uh, we don't, we're not going to have enough time to actually go into the, like the Bible and religion the way that I would, I would like to. Because uh, I was raised very Christian, doing mm -hmm. Bible study, hanging out with my bros, talking about Jesus, sharing, you know, scriptures and such. Then got into like psychedelics and, you know, kind of 
Buddhism and like other versions of isms and that kind of the concept of like hell seems quite unreasonable. So I wonder your perspective on the, uh, how literal could one take the Bible from your perspective? Like, is it meant to be symbolism, metaphor, allegory? Is it meant to be a hundred percent literal? How does one define how literal the Bible is? So what, or the Quran or the Quran or mean or, like the, I, the literal thing. I hate that word. The, so like the first of all, the word the word literal means according to the text. Like that's what the word literal means. People uh, t- think that the world the word literal means that what is described is a description of events in the way that I think events should be described. And I sometimes I'm not even sure what that is. It's like the way that you would describe events to a police officer, maybe like if it was a scene of a crime, some kind of forensic, like encyclopedic description of an event, like that's what it should be. And so we think that when we say the Bible is literal, then that's what it, that's what we're describing. And I think that that's just that's not just not what's going on there. Right? The Bible is a descri- is definitely a description of events, but it's not trying to describe those events in a way that would satisfy a modern rationalist in any way. Like it it is a description of events which compresses elements together in order to make them meaningful over a very long span of time. And so because of that, they, they, they have a certain form and a certain trope, which is necessary. Because if you don't do that, if you don't compress elements of a story into something like universal imagery, then it's going to no one's going to understand it. So think about so think about like if someone watched someone from the 15th century watch pulp fiction. Like they would have no idea what they're watching. Like what am I watching? What are these things people have in their hands and what are these things that people are drawing like putting up their nose or like what what are they what is this? Like this doesn't mean anything because it's so idiosyncratic. Mm-hmm. In the Bible what you have is you have stories that have been compressed and condensed and are telling the events in a way that that's just what it is. And so the idea that the first chapter of Genesis is like some is could be seen as a scientific uh, description is absolute nonsense. Like it's complete nonsense. And so I'm sorry to all the creationists who think that that's what's going on there. It's just not, it's just not. And, but the problem is that it doesn't have to be. The idea that that's what's valuable, the idea that a scientific description of an event is what is supremely valuable and everything should conform to that standard is pure nonsense. And so the description of, let's say, the creation in the first chapter of Genesis is, in my, I think, is the most powerful and accurate description of the manner in which the world exists. But it is not doing it in a way that, like I said, it's not a biologist description. It's the it's a description of a hierarchy of meaning, a hierarchy of participation, you know, the centrality of consciousness, the centrality of recognizing the good in the world. These things have nothing to do with what, let's say, have very little to do with the way that, that, uh, that a kind of forensic description would be. So I think yeah. that all the stories in scripture have to be taken very seriously. They have to be taken seriously as a description of events, but we don't have to figure out what the mechanical causes are behind some of the things that are there. So people yeah. are like reading. So like, I don't know, you read in the book of Joshua that the sun stopped 
you know, for 24 hours. And people are like, well, how is that possible? Trying to figure out like how the earth could move and what this could happen. How could I describe the mechanical causation of that? It's like, dude, stop it. What are you doing? Who cares? There's a reason why things are described that way. The reason have to do with their meaning. And so you don't have to understand what it is that if you had a video camera, you would be filming and you could, you could capture on a video camera. But it also doesn't mean that what it's saying is just something someone made up. It's a description of something in a way that emphasizes its meaning. And it's, you know, it's, it's, so it's a, it's a, it's a kind of mythological language, but in the Bible, at least it's, it, they, they, they're describing some kind of event, maybe from a distance, maybe from, you know, several generations after, maybe from that type of memory. But it, but it is a memory of something. My absolute favorite beverages for an afternoon pick-me-up. Really amazing for reducing stress, feeling calm, feeling at ease, uh, placing myself into a restorative state, also with clarity and energy. That is Organifi Green Juice. I drop a couple scoops of that into a blender, throw a couple ice cubes in there, blend it up. That is it. That is all. It tastes absolutely amazing. Love sharing it with friends. And uh, it's just a, a brilliant blend for a little energetic support in the afternoon. You can take it anytime, but I usually take it in the afternoon. Uh, so I highly recommend this stuff. If you want to get yourself a 20% discount, then you can jump over to Organifi.com slash align. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash align. 20% is a fantastic discount. Um, they have a 100% money back guarantee if you're not completely beyond satisfied with the product. I am completely confident you guys are going to really dig Organifi Green Juice. It is a fantastic way to cover your bases from a vitamin, mineral, and antioxidant perspective perspective. So jump over to Organifi.com slash line for 20% off. I'd like to take a moment and share a little bit about magnesium. If you're taking magnesium, there is a good chance you're flushing a good chunk of it down the toilet. I mean that literally you see the most common type of magnesium is actually used as a laxative. So if you're taking it, you're literally pooping and peeing it out, which means 80% of Americans who are magnesium deficient could actually be making their deficiency worse if they're taking the wrong type of magnesium. The worst part about magnesium deficiency is how it affects almost every aspect of our health. Your metabolism suffers, you can't lose weight, your blood pressure goes up, and on top of all that, or congruently with that, sleep will also be suffering. I have a solution that I'm very excited about is referred to as Mag Breakthrough. It is my go-to magnesium supplement and I highly recommend it to anyone. It is a full spectrum magnesium supplement with seven unique forms of magnesium that your body can actually absorb. And this month, they're including free bottles of their full line of digestive health products on select orders while supplies last. That means you're getting free products to try that will support your digestive system. Having an optimized digestive system means less energy trying to digest foods and absorbing more nutrients from the food you eat. This special offer is only available at magbreakthrough.com slash align podcast. That's M-A-G-B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H dot com slash align 
podcast. If you are not completely 100% satisfied with the Mag Breakthrough, then they offer you full 100% money back. Guarantee, no questions asked. You guys are gonna love this stuff. It is my favorite magnesium supplement. I think you guys are gonna dig it. Hope you enjoy magbreakthrough.com slash podcast for 10% off. Last night, I've been writing my dreams down. Last night, I had a dream where I was like, in this German war zone scenario. And I was like on my hands and knees and crawling around through puddles and hiding behind car tire things. And I had a gun and I like lost the gun and I was trying to find the gun. And then I had to report back. It was all this stuff. And within that, I think if I were to like retrace and be like, okay, I need to understand this dream. So I'm going to go to Germany. I'm going to try to find this place. I'm going to try to like encounter this guy's like, no, no, no. Like, like, no, it was like, Identify there was truth. Like which gun it is. There was like, truth within the dream. It yeah. just wasn't exactly as you know literal as like your waking consciousness may want to define it as is kind of what I'm maybe perhaps gathering. And that might be a little bit of a stretch, but. But even like your waking consciousness now. So think about how right now, let's say around you there, there's millions of things happening at the same time. There's like billions and billions of things happening simultaneously around you. And so in order for you to make sense of that, you have to draw phenomena into coherent, through a coherent line. So even if it's just your day, like you went through your day, you get home, like there are millions of things that happened to you that day, like millions and millions and millions. And so, but then you tell the story of your day, what you're doing, what you're going to do is you're going to compress you're going to take the elements that are meaningful and you're going to yeah. compress them together in a manner in which you are going to show the line that connects these elements together. Okay, so that's how we do it. Now, think of that now over a thousand years instead of over one day. Think of how I can do that in a manner in which I would have to tell the story of my day to someone in a thousand years. And so there's a kind of compression that happens. And that compression doesn't mean that it's, like I said, it doesn't mean that you didn't have a day or that, but it means that uh, there, there, there are so many examples that I could give you. But like, let's say a, a simple example would be, let's say in that story, of the, the German story, your dream, you're trying to tell that to someone. You're trying to tell that to someone who who lives, who's a Maasai in Kenya, right? From a, From 500 years ago. And so are you going to say you had a gun? No, you're going to say I had a weapon, right? You're going to say something like I had a weapon in my hands. But that Maasai, they only understand a weapon to be something like a lance. But they might have the same dream or a, a totally different dream with the same like undercurrent of truth. They'll have, the, they'll have a lance in their hand instead of a gun. Yeah. And so that that's the type of contraction that I'm saying. It's yeah. like if I say a sword, that has way more power than if i say a glock because a glock is is like a super reduced version and even if i say a gun is better than if i name like the brand of the thing it's like this it's this compression of elements that is what ancient storytelling was doing and is what you find in in scripture so some of them reach levels that are so high like a serpent you know like a tree like a like a garden these elements are, are are now universal and so compressed. I'm going to ask about something just to generally like put it into the ether to reflect upon. Uh, I'm curious your perception of things like the ancient fertility cults, like the sacred mushroom and the 
the cross book, the John Allegro book and, uh, Eleusinian mysteries and, you know, all of like the mystery cults of Greece, et cetera, and the potential of, you know, ergot or LSD being used to as like these like death ceremony, death and rebirth ceremonies. And a lot of what we gather from the Bible, in fact, has influence from the psychedelic experience and conflation of these different like ancient practices into yeah. what we now call, you know, Bible and God and yeah. death and rebirth. And well, let me say this. I think, <laughs> I, I, I think that it is in, six, in, in 60 seconds. What do you think about that? 60 seconds, what I think about that? No, but I, what I do think is that it is exactly a, it is exactly an image of the reductionism at which we've arrived in terms of modern scientism, which is that, we want to find the substance. What's the chemical? Like, what's the chemical? What's the what's the binding thing? You know, what's the what's the what's the medicine? And that's what we think is happening. So, the 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 whole psychedelic Eleusinian Ministries things is hilarious. I find it just hilarious. Which is that the Eleusinian Ministries lasted what three days, four days of nonstop like rituals all like that 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 would take you through an entire process that was extremely complex and that no one knows about because everybody has kept it a secret and then you get to the end of it and then you have a final revelation now whether or not that revelation might have been supplemented by some chemical is possible but the idea that that's what it is is absolutely right. ridiculous it's completely ridiculous and even people who talk about the psychedelics, it's like, how about if we talk about, let's at least talk about the vision instead of talking about the stupid mushroom. Like it, it's like they, they just, people get obsessed with the stupid mushroom. It's like, let's at least talk about the vision and see the coherence of the vision across the different traditions. Let's at least talk about that. But the idea that, so for example, like the, the only the thing that's closest to the so-called mystery uh, cults right now in the world is the Christian liturgy. That's the closest thing that you can have because it is it is a, a a death and rebirth ritual through baptism. It is a movement into a scandalous mystery, which is the Eucharist, a revelation at the end of participation and eating the body of a God. Like that is, that's what Christianity is. But the idea that if we could just have psychedelics... Like, well, like, no, 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 it's no. Like, that's that's uh, more just that's more just crazy. like an an interesting kind of thing to hang to like a handle to grab onto. It's like, oh, yeah. interesting. But I, I think that, that there's like ordeal poisoning, you know, f like in the form of like fasting, and you know, there's there's like the sun dance, Native American sun dance thing, or you're, you're fasting for several days and you're dancing around a tree, and then you're hung from the tree, and you're going through this like death and rebirth, like losing of the body. You're finally coming to a point where your body is so drained you you think you're on the edge of of transitioning out of the body and suddenly there's this like oh, okay i'm i'm rebirthed again you know i'm 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 born again like that i think that happens many in many different scenarios like a rite of passage in culture is very common but it's something that you know i don't know that there's a definitive rite of passage in the, in western culture for the most part but it doesn't need to be psychedelics per se just right. something well we have something called baptism which is which is which is that and it is yeah. it is definitely a death and rebirth there's also the so the idea of reaching these states through fasting is probably much better because the the problem with the psychedelics and i can see it it's that at least my 
my encounter with people that have just done psychedelics is that I don't think they come back with, not sure they come back with much. Like I'm not that impressed with one of the things that I've heard people come back with. Some of it seems really confused. Like some of it mm. seems because it's like you rip the veil off and then you enter into a world of, of encounters with let's say transpersonal beings but it's like there are all kinds of transpersonal beings. Like it's not as if everything that exists in the in the invisible is there to help you and is good. Like that's not true. And so yeah. I I I feel like there's a lot of and so I'm not I'm not totally discounting it. Like I'm not saying that it's evil or whatever. I'm just I just am not super impressed. And like I I'm not impressed at what psycho psychedelics did to in the '60s to our culture. And I am very wary about them coming back right now because we we're in a worse place than we were in the sixties. Like we are, we are in a, a more disjointed, broken, narcissistic space than people were in the sixties. So imagining that coming back, I don't know, man. I mean, it'd be tough. And we, I mean, now it's becoming like more of like a, a passionate conversation and now we're going to worry, worry, close it. But, um, <laughs> I mean, it's tough to say that anything as an absolute, like you could, like there's suggestions that Francis Crick, a part of his discovery of the triple helix model was a product of him using, I think it was LSD and taking this huge, uh, you know, massive information that he's been aggregating. And then through that psychedelic experience or, you know, whatever you want, psychedelics, another one of those words, mm -hmm. kind of like spirit of God, or whatever, it's got a lot of, a lot of flakes on it those seemingly like disparate connections that he was, he was in these different tunnels suddenly like fused for a moment. And then he comes out of that experience because he's done so much work in his, like his other world. Yeah. So you could understand it. You could understand that that's probably what something that the Illusionian mysteries were offering. Yeah. They would create a massive ritual that lasted several days. And then in the last moment, there would be some, they would use some supplement and that that would, so you can imagine like, there's a little residue, a little residue of that uh, in Christian communion, especially in the monastic sphere where someone would be fasting for, would be fasting probably for a whole day or at least maybe more before they would take communion. And then there would be a little bit of that with, in terms of, of, obviously it's not psychedelic, but a little bit of, let's say, uh, a little help to kind of break down some things with, uh, with, with taking wine at, yeah. after having fasted for, for a few days. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the, I think the confusion as well could make sense, uh, the sensation of like, oh, like what you're saying doesn't feel so cogent. And perhaps within some of, of those, I don't know, like super conscious states, for lack of better words, maybe a person kind of stumbles in territory that's not as effable as like their that what they would read or you know or regurgitate out of a book and it's kind of like yeah well they don't people uh, rarely uh, talk uh, about the, the bad trip like, <laughs> people don't talk about the bad trip for some reason because i mean i have witnessed people like i have witnessed people in my in my surrounding kind of just go down that route and i mean i don't know if it's because they were already psychologically fragile but like sure. i watched them break apart like i've watched them yeah go into a psychotic state yeah. Uh, as soon as, as really hard things started to, to present themselves to them. So, yeah. So, so I think that I, I do worry about this whole resurgence of, uh, of psychedelics right now. I definitely, I worry about it because I'm afraid people are going to see it as an easy way in. 
It's like, well, just take this pill, you know. You know what you want to know what spirituality is? Just take this pill. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot to say there. Um because <laughs> <laughs> well, at least for some people it seems to be that. Like certainly you can i think a person can develop a dependence on you know a, a clergy person can de- develop a dependence on the idea of god you know and then wearing that as a mask and and putting on the robe and putting on the cross and there's that that exists a spiritual person can do that with the beads you know it, like there's a lot of different versions of that and someone could wear an ayahuasca root around their neck and like that's their thing and they go back and they do their own psychedelic baptism every six months but they don't actually resource themselves in their waking life to be able to uh fulfill some of the the um the lessons that were that they they garnered during that experience so they just go back to their previous momentum and that's when it becomes kind of bullshitty where it's like no no like like the the window gets opened in various different ways you could have a near-death experience you could fall in love you could eat way too many mushrooms you know or whatever you know wow like i like the window is out the veil is the veil has been thinned and now the window closes now what do you do with it Mm -hmm. and i think that's the difference between someone that's like a michael pollan for example where people seem to like respect his perspective and like the rainbow gathering person that still doesn't have a job and you know still isn't really like that effective in society which effective i don't really like you know it's yeah. a dumb it's a dumb thing to say but you know you know what i mean yeah yeah so that so that's there's nuance to everything including religion including the psychedelic experience including you know everything yeah well i've never done psychedelic so so i'm definitely not i don't i want to be careful that i'm not uh that i'm not being too harsh but i but i do see like i i don't know i do see that it's the fact that it's so public and everybody's talking about it so publicly, I think is, it, it worries me, you know, for good like reason even at, at the time of the, if, if there was part of something like the Eleusinian mysteries and if it was part of, of, of some of the rituals that existed in the past and it would always have been like secret, it would always have been something that was kept yeah. because it's also very dangerous. Um, so, and it doesn't get conflated into like an egoic badge of honor, which then it's kind of tripping back into that previous momentum of you know egotism or, or whatever now suddenly you're like you're the ego is so strong that you had so much momentum in that now you're taking this divine in quotations or maybe not in quotations experience and you're actually leveraging the divine to bolster the ego and that's like oh like all right what do we do with that you know and then <laughs> you know that's a whole other conversation yeah. um thanks man i hope I'm gonna. Good. Yeah, I need to go now. But it it was good. good. To, it was good to meet you. It took me in surprising places. <laughs> good times. Um, is there a place that people sh- ought to be directed to go from here if they want to go deeper into your your stuff, your podcast and YouTube? And- people can check out the symbolicworld.com. That's my website, and that's where you'll find most of the like. I have a presence on YouTube, and there's a podcast version of what I'm doing, and there's a group, like a kind of community of people around that are writing articles about this kind of symbolic thinking a symbolic vision of the world so yeah people can check that out great thank you man um at some point would love to run it back and maybe start with the start with the bible stuff start with the bible stuff (laughs) (laughs) why not all right that is it that is all thank you all for tuning in um 
and I'll see y'all soon. Hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. If you want to watch the entire video, you can jump over to the Align Podcast YouTube channel. Also, I'd love to see you guys over in the free Align community where I drop exclusive content there pretty much every day. I drop in there answering questions, comments. We do lives. It is a good time. That is found at alignpodcast.com slash community. If you want to share this conversation, you can tag myself at Align Podcast. You can also tag John at Jonathan Pajot. That is it. That is all. I appreciate y'all tuning in, subscribing, comments, sharing, all the things. I'll see you next week.